Jesus' response is, I don't believe in anything. I can't touch, taste, see, smell. I don't believe it, but I can't measure it with my senses. You're in the right place. Believe it or not. If your response is that you're not sure what you believe in anymore, you're in the right place. But a scale of one to ten, where uh, one is dark and gloomy. Okay, let's get to an important scale here. Let me go back. Oh, why am I asking that question now? What do you believe? Let me ask that question in a different way. Okay? Uh, on a scale of one to ten, one is dark and gloomy, and two is bright and sunny, how would you rate your future? Think about that for a moment. On a scale of one to ten, where where one is dark and gloomy and one is bright and sunny, how would you rate your future? Pick a number. Take a moment. Go a little bit deeper and think about why you picked that number. I think that what you believe what you think about your future. The way you view your future is a reflection of what you really believe. But here's the cold, hard reality. No matter what we believe, life doesn't turn out the way we want. I just know. I know somebody's thinking, I came to church this morning for some good news. And the first point is, life stinks. I'm not going to lie to you. Remember, I don't make any answers. I'm not going to lie to you. Life happens. Life in this world is scarred by bombshells of pain and loss. It started the day you were born. And in one moment, you're securely, securely wrapped in a warm, wet, dark place. So is when you come from home. The next thing you know, it feels like everything in the universe is kind of crusty. And then somebody beats you out into a world that's bright and cold and black. Life in this world is scarred by bombshells and and what? Your deep blue job with the perfect co-worker. Your mind when a large conglomerate swallows up the company you're working for and decides, you know, we really don't need all those workers in that job. You expected a great career. And now you're 
investigating the eyewitnesses, the eyewitness reports of people who lived with and saw Jesus. He wrote a careful account in the truth of his church of the truth that he was implied. Every person's life, every account of a person's life is just in the background. It just doesn't exist out of nowhere. Everybody has a background, a context, a culture, a situation that they are living in. And we're about to read about two people, Zachariah and Elizabeth. I want you to know their situation, their background before we read. Zachariah and Elizabeth lived in Israel about 2,000 years ago. Their homeland was a social swamp of tension. It was not a happy place to live. Israel is not a place today, right? You know the news, right? Every once in a while, somebody lost something over there, and the iPhone 2 blows up, or some guy jumps on the bus and stabs that thing. Okay, guys, you remember? That's it, real today. It wasn't a whole lot better then. There was foreign occupation. This made it even worse. The Roman Empire reigned over their everyday lives. Literally. A Roman soldier could walk up to you while you're minding your own business or shopping at the market and say, you know, I'm tired of carrying this backpack. You carry it. And your immediate response would probably be no, it would probably be a poor idea. Because he has a sword and a spear and he likes to do things. And if you don't walk fast enough, he'll probably push you. The truth is told, outsiders who went over the country of Israel often went for, for about a thousand years, and there always been rubbed in the wrong way, and there have always been people rebelling, and there were still rebels, even in that day, fighting against Rome. But Israel, the world they lived in, the culture, the nation they lived in, was a hotbed of violence, hatred, and frustration. Israel had a unique relationship with God. We don't understand that now. Because for 2,000 years, God's been a God of all people. But at that time, the people of Israel were the only people who had ever heard from God. They had a unique relationship with the Creator. He had spoken to their prophets, priests, and kings, and given their message. Messages. We, we have them recorded in our in our Bibles. It's the first big section, what we call the Old Testament. Those were the messages that God had given to His people. Now, in our Bibles, if you jump to the very end of the last book of the Old Testament, now there might be a few pages or, or a picture or something between the end of that book and the beginning of Matthew, which is the beginning of the New Testament, the last part of the Bible. But on the timeline, there's like 400 years between the last prophet and the time of Jesus. 
ugly years of People who have had a relationship with God, a unique relationship with God, where He spoke to their leaders and they told them what God had said. For 400 years, not only have they been occupied by the four powers off and on, they have never heard a thing from God. There was no one to declare in Baptist and the People around them, Zachariah and Elizabeth, that's the same question that we can ask. How long are you going to hide, God? Grandpa's not heard from you. Great grandpa never heard from you. Great great grandpa never heard from you. Nobody around here has heard from you. Where are you? And by the way, why don't you do something about this moment? I spent the entire day yesterday doing something like that. Controlled by another nation. The final peaceful, frustrated people. The fact that they have a unique relationship with God that hadn't heard from me for 400 years, it makes me wonder, it makes them wonder, if they really do have to be. If someone's getting the 400 years of silent treatment, you've got to begin to wonder, right? Is this relationship heaven? That's the conflict. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, now that's interesting here. By the way, Herod was king because Caesar told him he was king. And he got mad at the Caesar, which would be mad at Herod. Herod would no longer be king. He was a puppet. There was two priests in Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order, and his wife Elizabeth was also of the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. And one more thing about this story we need to know. Zachariah and Elizabeth experienced the drip, drip, drip of the tears of broken dreams. Something that seems deep in his heart. I'm not sure about Elizabeth, but from reading between the lines of Zachariah, I'm pretty sure somebody came to his. In his heart, as his dreams were consistently turning into nightmares. And I'm sure he asked these questions How long are you going to hide, God? Where are you? Why don't you do something about this? I've done everything I was supposed to do. And the conversation that's about to happen is see. Something like an uncontrolled forest fire, a defiant anxiety that began to consume his physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional energy. It's an anxiety that delivered despair. 
will be called the prophet of the Most High God. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light, the heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. When God showed up, when God revealed His presence to us in our lives, He inspired a determined faith in Him that developed hope this view of the future was drastically changed. How will I know this is true? The baby's going to be born, and the baby's going to be gone, and that baby's going to know. So I learned a sermon on the first this morning is actually two times because there are two options available to us in this world where things happen that don't go according to our plans. Defiant anxiety delivers despair. Or, determined faith develops hope. Defiant anxiety delivers despair. Determined faith develops It's something that drives us to distraction when our plans crash continually over and over again. Something keeps us deep in our hearts when our dreams persist when they turn into nightmares. The final anxiety can consume all of our energy and deliver us into a state of despair. It's always going to be like this. It's never going to be what I hoped for. Inspires a determined faith that develops hope for the future. Don't like the way it is? Can I see God who makes it possible to change? How do we develop or see that determined faith? Develop the hope. First step, face your fears. You must face your fears. And, and the question really is not what are you afraid of, but what is your picture of God compared to what you're afraid of? Who is God to you compared to what you're afraid of? Are your fears grounded in your view of who God is, or are your, is your view of God grounded in your fears? Once you begin to see your fears against the, the greatness of God, your hope's going to grow stronger. 
to act in faith, keep on trying despite your disappointments. There's no guarantee, I'm going to honest with you, there's no guarantee that your dreams are going to come true. But I can guarantee you, they will never come true if you stop trying. I find myself driving down the road towards Saginaw when I went to go to Saginaw. I realized my mistake. I don't fall off in the nearest rest stop, or I would just fall off on the shoulder of the road, turn the car off, and go, well, I guess I'm never going to make it to Saginaw. Oh, of course you're not going to make it to Saginaw. You fall off the side of the road, turn your car off. That's the difference there. If you're on your way to Saginaw, you should be going to that Saginaw. I would suggest that you turn your GPS on. And start following these directions. That's how you're going to get there. Keep trying. Keep moving. Maybe you're thinking, I, I keep trying and the same thing that Okay, stop trying the same thing over and over again. Start asking questions. Seek advice. Find a different way. Try something out. Map out a new approach. That's why I suggest you grab something on the GPS. We need to face our fears. We need to act in faith. We need to embrace God's grace. That's where I am Elizabeth. All the people of that day experienced God's favor, His grace, His mercy, and His special love. I want you to understand something. You are no different. Now, granted, I'm pretty sure none of us in this room are the creature in the hand. None of us are, are, are part of the Jewish people. But that's not required to receive his grace. God's grace is for everybody who loves. That's you. That's you. He loves you. He favors you in all the battles of life, whether they're bombshells dropping around you or just a good, good drift. In the battle of life, he's on your side. He's not against you. Grab a hold of that reality. I know that you do that. But it's the truth. You know, there's some things that are true whether we feel like it's true or not. Like when the alarm clock goes off in the morning. Well, unless you're one of those people that wait like a half hour before the alarm clock goes off, but you would be. Okay. But for people who are hard to believe, people like me. One of my professors put it this way I don't even go to sleep if it's awake before 9 o'clock, but that doesn't mean I can't get up. For all the morning people who 
Whatever the circumstances the situation where clear the lot, peace on your side. Don't let what hurting you get between you and God. Hang on to him. The basic is to also say that you're a great, great God's grace to come back to doing something else. Sometimes called the books, but that's 